Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the roller coaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching in Clubland, we speak to Brian Harper. Brian is the Coach Development Specialist at Cricket Australia and has been in this role for four years. He oversees a range of coach development programs and opportunities and the accreditation scheme for coaches in Australia. Harps has had extensive coaching experience having coached Victorian Premier Cricket Powerhouses in the St Kilda and the Melbourne Cricket Clubs and is a legendary playing coach at Caulfield Cricket Club and the Victorian Sub-District Cricket Association. Harps also has a physical education background and has led programs at Yarra Valley Grammar and Wesley College. Brian also just happens to be the father of current Victorian and Melbourne Renegades wicketkeeper batsman Sam Harper and has a cracking anecdote from Sam's childhood that involves a pull fence for a wicketkeeping drill. Yep, a pull fence. In our chat with Brian, we talk about coaching the Australian way, the key components of skill acquisition and the recently updated Cricket Australia coaching app, which is sure to be a game changer. This episode is proudly brought to you by Big Dog Clothing. For high-quality sports apparel and lifestyle clothing, visit www.bigdog.com.au to view their range. That's dog with a double G. And for listeners who follow both Big Dog Clothing and our podcast on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, if you share a post, story, or retweet a podcast episode, you'll go into the running for a weekly $30 voucher. Entries close Tuesday, 5 p.m. each week. Okay, legends, let's get stuck into the episode. Welcome to the Coaching Clubland podcast, Brian Harper. Uh, thanks for having us, uh, Mitch. It's uh, great to be having a chat to you about coaching and all things cricket today. Harps, it's awesome to have you on. I really appreciate you giving up your time. It's been an interesting 18 months uh, worldwide, considering the amount of time usually shuttling back and forth between Melbourne and Brisbane, the National Cricket Centre there. Just how challenging has the last 18 months been for you? Well, it, it was originally challenging, Mitch, because the fact that we did we do a lot. Of, we used to do a lot of travel. We used to get out and collaborate with people. And to be honest, that was the fun. That was a lot of fun in the collaboration and getting people together and trying to work out how we could do things better and how we could help people develop. But it's also created quite a bit of opportunity because we've had to refocus what we're doing. Like everybody has, everybody's been challenged by by the COVID and the lockdown and everything that's happened. And we've just had to work out how to get on with it. And to a certain extent, that's I guess reframed things up and changed the way we've done it. And like for example, you know, the, the junior coach course through the app and the CA coach app, they're things that have probably gained a lot of momentum that they might not have had this much momentum had we not mm. had the experience that we've had. So we tried to make the most of it, but like everybody, we'd love to get back out. Most certainly. Uh, we're hanging to get back out and uh, it's mid-September at the moment and you can see that, you know, the weather's changing and here you can smell the, the cut grass and it's time to get pre-season rock and rolling, but uh, might be a little while yet, but hopefully we can get underway shortly. And you're the Coach Development Specialist at Cricket Australia. Can you tell us about some of your primary responsibilities and some of the major programs that you oversee? Um, Look, it's a great role and I'm really thrilled to be able to wake up each day and spend my time 
trying to help people in Australian cricket develop their coaches and get better at, uh, at coaching cricket and giving people a better experience when they're playing. So in short, I guess, uh, the difference between Cricket Australia, who sort of like, if you think about a, a group of people who are helping the game run versus, I, I, I think I sort of more work in Australian cricket, working with all the people in the states and territories to help them to deliver, you know, coach development experiences. And, and uh, we, we get together and collaborate quite a bit. So that's, that's a big part of what I do. But in particular, some programs, um, we've got a program called Cricket Unites Ed, where we help develop field force education and updates you know, on what we're going, various programs, so that everybody who's working in cricket knows the latest of what we're up to. Um, and that includes sometimes what's happening in their own state, not just from a, yeah. an Australian cricket point of view. Um, the Club Rooms National Webinars, and we've got one coming up with Andrew Fuller um, around understanding kids and, and the CA Coach app. Obviously, accreditation is a big part of what we do. So in collaborating with people and developing accreditation levels and the processes around delivering that, so there's a lot of people that need to, you know, to understand how to do it and how it works. Uh, obviously, building new resources and trying to stay up to date and modern with everything that we're doing. And there's lots going on. So there's lots of collaboration. You know, I can find myself one day talking to, you know, Rachel Norman, who's a, a cricket area manager in Western Australia. And another day I'm talking to, you know, um, Andrew Pierce, who's a coaching talent specialist in Queensland. So connecting with lots of programs and trying to get them all together and understand what's going on. But a couple of things particularly that have been a lot of fun in the last sort of, uh, I guess, six to 12 months. I've been doing a lot of work with the ICC in a coach development program for the 92 associate countries. And that's been a really good fun to be involved with in helping them develop people to develop coaching. And to be honest with you, some of the stuff that we're doing, we should pull back out and, and introduce into our own system as well, mm -hmm. which we will. Another um, one, we've introduced a, another level of learning or accreditation in the middle between the community coach and the representative coach called the advanced community coach, which in effect is... I guess it's there was just too much. If you think about a teaching curriculum and a scope and sequence, there was just too big a gap between community and representative. And so we're trying to, I guess, drive the notion that all coaches understand they're coaching within a context. What's the context that I'm coaching within and what learning do I need to do there? And if I change contexts, if I go to a different context, then I'm going to need some other learning and some other bits and pieces in my in my coach's toolkit, so to speak. So we so there's learning around that. So that's been a good fun thing to do. Obviously, the, the female coaching development has been huge and you know, trying to keep up with the development of the game in that space, and also inclusion and diversity programs and whatever else as well. So there's there's lots going on. You mentioned the ICC connection there. I'm just interested to know how how similar or how different our coaching accreditation course and, and system is compared to someone like the ECB or what the BCCI might be rolling out. Can you talk about some of the similarities and differences between uh, those countries and their coaching accreditation scheme? There are some similarities and some differences, but they're more, it's more cultural, to be honest, than, than anything else in terms of how people learn and how they, they're used to delivering their messages and their, their adult learning spaces. So the program that we've been involved in covers all five regions of the ICC. So we're, so there's, it's, the Australian way of doing things is seen as a very good way to do things. And so we've been helping them to construct the education and the learning and the courses. But in the same breath, there's this big understanding where we've got to sit down and plan out how we're going to get these people to understand how it's going to work in their country. How's it going to work in this city? How's it going to work with this group of people uh, in this environment? So there's a lot of that sort of stuff going on, which is pretty much what coaching is really when it's all mm -hmm. said and done. I've got a group of players here that I'm working with and how am I going to help them you know, to, to have a good time and enjoy it and get better at the game? So the, the differences, I guess, really is in terms of the way it's delivered more so. Some people focus more in on the technical and the basics and they want to hammer that for a day 
in Australia, we say, look, we, we really value the basics and, and how you play the game, but we want to get into more of a game sense led approach pretty quickly and, um, you know, trying to almost go back and explore that backyard experience where you work out how to solve the problems. Not that that's, I don't want to get people to think the wrong thing. We, we really do believe in the basics and the fundamentals of the game and how we can, how we can develop them, but we want to do it in a gameplay sort of type activity as much as we possibly can. And it kind of reflects, I guess, the way my coaching's evolved over the last 10 or 15 years where yeah, early on it was very direct instruction. This is how you're playing a cover drive and this is how you're bowling an off-break. Whereas now I think it's a bit, we're a bit more open-minded and a bit more willing to embrace diverse approaches to doing things. So that's, that's interesting. And I think the other thing that coaches often emphasize in this day and age is relationships and being empathetic. I guess, is there components and modules within your courses and, and accreditation schemes that perhaps focus more on that these days and perhaps in times past as well? Oh, certainly. Like I can remember doing my, what was then a level one and doing my level two. And I've obviously, I've delivered, you know, a number of level ones and I've delivered, been, you know, been involved in delivering a level two course since I was 23, I think, and I'm 58. So I've been in and around <laughs> yeah. that space for a fair, for a fair yeah. while. So, and it has changed. I guess at the end of the day, we might, we might, touch on this at various stages throughout the chat but we would consider primarily now that a coach needs to have three knowledges we break them up into three knowledges and there's professional knowledge is one of the knowledges there's interpersonal skills is one of the knowledge spaces and there's intrapersonal skills so knowledge of yourself and how you're working versus you know the knowledge of how you're interacting and helping other people and then the the professional knowledge of the game and um, you know the strength and conditioning and the programs and body development and all that other stuff as well so there's sort of three separate categories and I I guess we're trying as hard as we can to get coaches to understand that they can be an outstanding coach and not be strong in all three, that there'll be a gap somewhere. My experience is that a lot of coaches come in and they're petrified about not having enough professional knowledge and not building enough self-esteem and enough confidence around their fact that they're pretty good with people and they've, mm. they've got, they're pretty good at relationships and whatever else. And so there's lots of ways to solve problems. Um, you know, like I know myself, Mitch, you know, I've had some coaching experience and when you're in an environment where when I was coaching at Melbourne, there was no one there who had played first-class cricket in the coaching area. And I've gone, hey, some of these guys are trying to play first-class cricket, and I don't know what it's like to scratch centre in, in the MCG and face, you know, Sean Tate. So I'm going to need someone to, to help me. So I went and got recruited someone to come and help and give give our, our young players some time that could actually say, this is what it feels like I've done it. So just building up that team. Yeah, and, and uh, we've got Paddy Upton actually coming up in a future episode and He's someone who's very good in the intrapersonal, interpersonal space. He, he's probably uh, the first to admit that in terms of his technical knowledge, you know, it's it's more than adequate, but it's certainly not his strength. So he definitely outsources some of those things to to bring back to his playing group. Paddy Upton, just to jump onto that, yeah. Paddy Upton is one person I've paid particular attention to. And at the end of the day, the higher you go, the less you need to know, the more you need to be able to construct the environments and help mm. people. You know, I can remember, you know, my last year coaching Melbourne, when it came to the game plan, we just sat down the 16 players who were the more senior players at the time. And I said, what do you want me to measure? And they chilled it all out. And I said, it doesn't really matter. It'll be good cricket, but it's got to be whatever you think is, is going to work for us. And it was more important that they were committed to it than I was because they're the ones out there bowling the balls and taking the catches and hitting the runs. So yeah, I think Paddy Upton's got some really good stuff and he's worth investigating for any coach the oh, way he goes about it. Certainly. What are some of the key you know traits and attributes that Cricket Australia is hoping to see from its accredited coaches, no matter what level they're coaching, what gender, who they're coaching? What are some key things that you think are, uh, you know, I guess, essential in, in coaching the Australian way? 
Yeah, well, I think that the first thing is, is, Mitch, is to actually understand that when they've done a level of learning, whether it be the intro to coaching or a, or a community coaching course level one or whatever it is, that's just the start of their, their learning. And probably rather than saying, hey, I'm, I'm now rusted on, I've got this piece and it's done, to actually turn around and say, okay, I've got this, this opportunity to be creative in the way I'm coaching. And then the next best thing I can do then is reflect on what happened and then work out how to do it better the next time. Don't worry about getting it wrong. Pretty much everything I've learned is from getting it wrong. I'd love to have my time again and, <laughs> and um, you know, not make some of the mistakes I've made, but that's how we learn. So we've made lots of mistakes along the way. The other one is, I guess, is to, to really understand that they're coaching within a context and that the, the context changes. So, you know, if I'm Justin Langer or Matt Mott coaching the Australian team, then winning takes on you know, a huge importance because there's all sorts of ramifications for winning and not winning at that level. But if I'm coaching in the community space where people are playing for different reasons, then the winning versus the development takes on a different role. So what am I actually trying to do? And I think that if coaches can all sit back and understand that we'll measure their success by how many people come back and want to play with them next week, not by whether or not they win or lose. But they don't know how to measure it. So everyone talks winning. Every time we turn the TV on and watch sport, they go win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Coaches getting sacked for not winning enough. So they think, oh, to be successful, I have to win. When, let's face it, 95% of us coaching don't win the ultimate prize. But we've done a great. We can we can still have done a great job, um, you know. So trying to get them to understand the coaching within the context and what does success look like. Well, you know, if they come back next week, you must be doing something right. If they come back next year, you've really done something right. And we're actually at the point where we could actually measure that with, through the the technology and the background. But you know, we've got to be careful about what that how that's used. I guess. I think another thing that we'd really love coaches to understand is it's actually about the players and not about them. Like. When a player goes out and makes runs, they don't go home and say, you know, oh, Brian Harper made 57 today. They go, they made 57. So it's actually about them. So connect in with what the player's trying to do. It doesn't mean that the player doesn't need your help. The player desperately needs your help and your guidance and your friendship and your relationship. And they're all the things you need to bring to it. But if you can if you can push the accolade away to the point where the accolade sits with the player and the performance – and you can have the satisfaction of knowing that you've been helpful. Because let's face it, like 80% of our joy comes from helping somebody else, mm, yeah. really, when it's all said and done. And we love to help. And people who, who gravitate to coaching love to help. In fact, we, we sometimes get in the way. We're trying to help so much, sort of calm ourselves down a fraction. Um, and, ju- and just being a continual learner is the last one. Just sort of always sort of looking to the opportunity to do it better and you know, we've, we've still, we're still in the process of a number of coaches who've had, a, had their own experience and they're not necessarily looking to learn. They're just trotting out their own experience again, going, well, that's what I got. When that's, that's out of context, that's, that was in the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. And now these kids are growing up or this group's operating in the 2020s. And it's a, just a different context. So they're, they're probably the key things we're looking for. And you mentioned the wanting to be continual learners. And the majority of our listeners are passionate and talented coaches, but they might not have played at the highest levels yet they remain you know, ambitious to take their coaching as far as possible. What tips can you provide them to help them overcome that hurdle of not being an elite player previously? And just how important is it for coaches to take regular professional development? I guess, firstly, um, if, they, if they can understand that development comes every time they interact with someone and every time they turn up to coaching, there's, a, there's the opportunity to develop a big part of their, their learning. Like I did a physical education degree and okay, I spent four years in a, in a university environment, but I learned more in the first four years of teaching than I did in the last four years getting ready to do it. No doubt. So, so get out there and, and understand that each time you're doing it and and be willing to actually admit to yourself that that worked well, but not as well as I wanted. And if I did this, it could work better. But don't be scared to have a crack at it in the first place. I mean, a number mm. of times I've said to a group, ah, good idea, didn't quite work there. Let's have a crack <laughs> at this. Or what yeah. do you think? You know, what do you think? How can we make this better? That's a great question to ask the players. 
how do you think how do you think mm-hmm. we can do this better how can we make it more game like how would this be more fun because they are they're the determinants of whether or not it's they're, they're enjoying it or they're getting any competency or skill development out of it there's a couple but i think i've actually had some well we've had some success in players some players becoming coaches and then moving up it's really difficult if you haven't played at the level because the players there are de- and definitely going to respect from a professional knowledge point of view someone who has just in a trust. So what's missing? Trust. All right, so how are we going to get that trust? The trust is going to come from others. So what we've got to do is we've got to work to have other people having an enjoyment and a success in what we're doing and let them talk about, oh, I worked with Mitch and when, when I did this with Mitch, it was really good and this happened. And when other people start hearing that about you, then you get other opportunities. You get invited into other opportunities. If you're the only one talking about how you're going, you probably hit your ceiling. Mm-hmm. So you need to work out how to get other people talking about how you're going. And that comes from them enjoying being around you and you being a, a confident and, a, and having a relationship and, and creating competency success for them, which is tuning into them, really tuning into them and helping them grow and they understand it. So if I'm someone like wanting to go from one level to the next level, I'm saying, okay, like let's say that it's uh, you know premier cricket to high performance. I've got to work out how to get myself into an environment where I'm working with some people in that environment. So which club's got some people who are in the high-performance environment? Mm. Support those people, build a relationship, and then eventually I can get to the point where they're saying, hey, you know, Mitch is pretty good to be around or Harps is pretty good to be around. He really helped me with this. And then they start talking about that at the next level. And then when you go for a job, your name's already on the map. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, but it's, I also am not trying to make it sound like everybody can go there because we don't all have the skills to do everything in the world. And some of us are, are meant to be in the community space helping young people or people at that level. And it's a different kind of fun and a different kind of experience. But if you if you want to move up a level, you've got to earn respect at that level. So people are talking about you. What does that look like for you? That's what that's where I suggest that you get to. And, and sometimes having our more effective coaches in community space or, or the junior realm can actually have greater benefit because those players can, you know, probably very much a blank canvas and, and have greater room for growth as well. So there's nothing wrong with incredibly effective coaches being staying in those spaces too. Look, Mitch, this is this is just life, isn't it, really, when it's all said and done? And it's the same within cricket in Australia. Everybody loves the bit at the top. Everyone wants to see how the Australian players are going. Are the you know men or women winning the games that they're in the T20 that's coming up? And it's it's all the buzz. The reality is in community cricket, we're working really hard to make sure that all the kids who are going to be the future Australian players are, are having an opportunity to do that. But it's it's not that interesting. We don't get to publish it that much. We don't get to talk about it as much because da-da-da-da-da. We do publish it and we do talk about it as much as anyone will listen. <laughs> but it's critical. Without it, we're going nowhere. Like, like I don't mean this to sort of upset anybody, but if if professional cricket fell off the planet tomorrow, there'd still be people playing cricket. Mm. All right? So if people stop playing cricket, in five years' time, there'll be no professional cricket. It will, yeah. it will fall off the planet. Yeah. So the people who are contributing to, to to cricket there are really contributing to cricket at the top level. But more importantly, in our experience and in my experience, is that they're contributing to people's lives and they're generating the stories. Like now that I'm 58, reading some notes that, that you sent to me the other day in preparation for our chat, I've got, hey, Fiona, have a look at this. And it just reminded me of some stories. And then I started telling stories and uh, adding a bit of mayo to them and whatever else. And so, you know, none of of those were for Australia or even for Victoria. They were just with my mates out playing. So that was great. You touched on your PE background before, and I'm also a teacher. And there's, there's certainly parallels between coaching and education. Can you give us some insight into the importance of skill acquisition and some suggestions for our coaches when trying to teach players new skills? 
Yeah, look, this is a really interesting area, Mitch. Um, and I think this is the difference between coach or great coach, to be honest, because everybody that wants to stay in the game generally stays in because there's some improvement or there's some competency development. There's been a lot of fantastic people that have stayed in sport, not just just cricket, but sport through connection because that's where their mates are and then they've they've developed a purpose around you know helping the club survive or whatever else but from a coaching point of view one of our key drivers is actually helping people get better so for me uh, and i just need to simplify this as much as i can because i think that's what good coaching is Mm. if we think about people being confident okay then they're probably going to get better if they keep playing because they'll work out how to solve the problems like we do in life we have a go at something it works or it doesn't work if it doesn't work we go oh We'll learn from that and we'll do it better next time and we'll do it. So we slowly get better at everything. How do we speed that up? Okay. Well, we've got to protect their confidence. That's really critical. But we've also got to create these environments where they're getting the opportunity to get better. Now, stay with me. Hopefully, everybody listening can stay with me here. A young person learns how to speak English without going to school. A young person learns how to do their shoelaces up without going to school. Okay. Mm. And yet we come, they come to cricket and we say, grip it here, put your wrist here, put your elbow there, step your foot, put your foot at 45 degrees. Disastrous, absolutely disastrous. So what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And if we practice it in a way, we're going to get a solution to it. And the people who work out how to do that really well are going to be the best. Okay. That's kind yeah. of sort of where I'm trying to get to here. So we need to simplify it as much as we can. When we're trying to help someone develop skills, it's not about us showing that we know about cricket. It's about them engaging in the practice in a way that's going to work for them, that's going to help them develop the skills. So from that itself, I turn around and say, okay, how can I create a problem that this player has got to solve? So I go through a little, I've got quite a formula that I go through. Firstly, I'm watching and hopefully I'm watching a game day performance or I'm responding to something in the game because that's one of the tricky things about cricket is that what someone can do in a game is really what actually matters. Mm. Okay, is what, what they can do at practice is one thing, but there's a lot of people who can do something in practice, they can't do it in a game or they Certainly. can't repeat it in a game. So we want to get it. We want to be trying to observe things in a game as much as we possibly can. Then we make this huge decision, are we going to intervene or not? Now, sometimes the best thing you can do is not intervene, but let's, let's say that we, we've chosen to intervene, we think we can help, then you've got to get permission. Are they going to buy in to your desire to help? Sometimes as a coach, we run in there and we go, oh, I can fix this. I can fix this. I watch you hit three balls. I'm going to fix you. Player goes, fix what? I don't want to be fixed. I'm, I'm okay. Do they want to be fixed? If they want to be fixed and you've got them on board, then you can say, right, let's explore this together. And then this is where I reckon the, the fantastic, this is where I reckon the real honey is, is if you can get them to come up with the solution, even better. Now, they might not know how to come up with a solution. You might have to help them come up with a solution. What do you think if we did this or if we did that or if we did whatever else? So, for example, it could be, let's say it's, you know, defence and they're not, they're not putting their straight bat down the wicket. Okay, where do you think the ball will go if you, if you play with the full face of the bat? And they might go, oh, I'm not sure. Or they might go, up, oh, goes back to you or whatever else. Okay, comes back to me. So let's have a little game and see how many you can get to come back to me. All right? Mm. No technical advice whatsoever. No. Just try and get the ball to come back to me. Another classic example, of course, is this is one that I've heard a lot lately, and this is a little bit more high tech, is oh, you've got to play late. So I've observed that you're, you're taking a big stride and you're thrusting your hands out at the ball. And uh, well, oh, I'm a great coach. Mitch, you need to play the ball late. How on earth do you do that? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you coach that? You can't just tell someone to play no. the ball late and they're going to go, oh, I'll just bring my bat back here. So actually, how do we do it? So, you know, I think in, in, in order to develop that skill, we've got to say, well, what does it look like when you play the ball late? Where does the ball go? When A.B. de Villiers plays late or Kane Williamson plays late, where does the ball go? 
well, it goes down to his feet and it doesn't go very far away. Mm. So you say to the player, you want to, you want to be Kane Williamson? And if they're from New Zealand, they're going to go, yes, sir. And if they're from <laughs> South Africa, they want to be A.B. De Villiers. And, and if they're from Australia, they want to be Steve Smith. Okay, well, we want the ball. We're going to have some, you know, little zone around us, three metres around, and we're just going to get the ball to stay within that zone. Okay, boom, and they can work out how to do it. How am I going to do it? I don't know. What does it feel like? What does it feel like to you? Bounce the ball in again. Got to get the ball to come straight down. Now, they're only going to get the ball to stay in that zone if they play the ball late. That's right. Yeah. Their brain's just working it out. It's a bit like when we turn around and we say to people, watch the ball. What does that mean? Like people's eyes pop out of their head trying to watch the ball. But what does watch the ball mean? So if you use two different color balls and say you've got to call out the color of the ball before you hit it, they're going to watch the ball. They're going to package mm. all this stuff up and just do it naturally. That's to me, is the fun stuff about trying to help people then work out their way and then and develop the skills to do it. Next thing you know, they've got, so, they've, they've got soft hands or they're playing late because they're, they're focused on the outcome that they're after. Great advice there. I think breaking down some of those cliches and you know, specifics, what does it actually look like rather than just mm. those cliches that we all tend to revert to at times? We're very fortunate to have Ferox Cricket as a sponsor of the podcast. An ICC-endorsed and preferred brand of both international players and cricketers in clubland alike, Ferox Cricket supplies elite quality cricket gear at affordable prices. Contact Kane and the Ferox team on Facebook or Instagram. Alrighty, let's get back to the episode. And you're involved as the Director of Sport at Yarra Valley Grammar and also coached Wesley College a little while ago. So what role does the school cricket have in the Australian setup, you know, in terms of developing the game and how we strike, how do we strike the balance between participation and catering for those younger players who are a bit more advanced? Yeah, look, this is a, this is a can be a tricky one depending on like it's it's it seems to be more tricky depending on where you sit or if you're not sure where you sit. But for me, the schools, well, schools full stop. Any PE program or any fundamental skills program that any school's doing that helping a young person develop physical literacy is critical. And the other thing that happens at schools is that kids are quite often they're with their mates and they're doing things in an environment where they're surrounded by people that they they actually want to be around sometimes when you go to a club you may or may not be mates to start with Mm. and that's that's another great skill to develop those mates and develop those friendships as you go but in the school environment that's that's one of the things one of the real tricks and so if you think about a an independent school for example sporting program that might put out two or three hundred teams a year there's a lot going on that we don't consider if all we consider is the best couple of kids that might have some value in being involved in another program over here a little bit. So that program's got quite a bit of strength and it's doing a lot of great stuff. So let's take that now and unpack it from a cricket point of view. So I don't think that there's any trouble at all with young players being in their school environment till they're 16, 17 years of age and getting that, as long as they're also being challenged and stretched in other ways. And I believe that if they actually want to be any good, all right, they're not just sitting back and saying, oh, no, I'm just doing school now and I'm not doing that. If they want to be any good, they'll be connected in other ways and that's where the coaches and their mentors have a chance to get to them and say this let's balance these things two together all right and really make sure that we're getting the best out of it because a lot of them are not going to make it and they're going to have those school experiences which are fantastic Mm. and some are going to make it and they're probably going to make it anyway all right if they get once they get to 18 i think you need to be stretching yourself in adult cricket men's or women's and really you know you're putting the foot down wouldn't be leaving it any later than that but i think at school it's okay they just need to to make sure that they're making the most of it and the, the other one too which i think people miss as kids are coming through is that where do i get my confidence to make lots of runs or to take wickets if i if i go too early into up into the challenge and into the adult world you learn to make runs by wanting to make runs if you make some hundreds in junior cricket where you're a little bit good for the competition mm. That can only help. Yep. Okay? That can only help because you get used to making runs and then you come along and you play this other stuff and you go, well, I'm used to making runs. This is no surprise. If you turn up to adult cricket and you've really, all you've ever had is potential, I think that's more dangerous, far more dangerous. 
and I've coached some kids privately that you know might be 11 or 12 and they want to play in the 14s and they, they look great in the nets but high score 23 best bowling figures two for 25 well hang on a sec you haven't exactly dominated your age group currently before we, we look at stretching ourselves let's get some get some confidence up and, and build your, your game style and your, and, your, and your confidence out in the middle so I noticed that we, we might talk a little bit about I've got two boys that have played a lot of yeah. cricket and I've got a, maybe a story that might help there as well. Let's go there now then. So you're, you're the father of uh, current Victorian Renegades keeper bat Sam Harper and also uh, Richmond and Melbourne keeper, keeper bat Jack Harper as well. So while both Sam and Jack are now fully fledged high-level cricketers, can you tell us about how you engage with them still from a, a mentoring perspective and whether you act as a sounding board or whether you very much leave them to their own devices? Look, I guess holistically, Mitch, along the way, I've always played. I've always been dad where if they grabbed me by the trouser leg and shook me on the leg and said, let's go and play cricket, I would. Um, I'm probably guilty of putting a, an 18-metre cricket pitch in the backyard with a 3.6-metre net along the fence so the balls didn't go over. So I did create the environment, yeah. I must admit. <laughs> and, uh, and we played a lot. But when they were younger, I guess my whole focus as a coach was just to, to play games and to create an opportunity for them to be able to see the ball and hit the ball. If, if it was short, like one of the first things that I, that I tried to teach the boys was that you need, you need to know how to get out of the way of the ball if it comes up at your body or you need to be able to hook and pull uh, because nothing will stop a person trying to hit you. Then if you hook them away for four runs, they That's won't right. bowl there again or they certainly won't deliberately bowl there again. Mm. So we did a lot of that early and played lots of games. And we sort of finished up with me serving flat out with a tennis racket. You know, I was first serves at him in the backyard. <laughs> and that's where it got to. And that, that was how we had, had, the, had the fun with it. So lots of involvement and lots of games all the way through trying to get them to solve the problems that were there. But then I had to get out of the way. And, and an example is Jack, who went to Richmond, had a great relationship with Jared Lofman, who was coaching there. And I can still remember Josh sort of thinking, you know, young halves will come down, senior halves will come and help with the coaching. And I'm going, no, 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 he needs to be there by himself. He doesn't want dad around. He needs to go and make his own way. And so he was sort of just turning 16, 15, 16 around that age. And that was really important for him as a young person to actually have that experience. And I'm going, well, he's got all these great people at Richmond can help him. He doesn't need me there hang, hold, hang, holding onto his hand. And so as we've gone along, whenever they've wanted to have a hit in the nets or have a few throw downs or whatever else, I've certainly been there. But I, I was, I'm a bit of a believer that, you know, my role was as a dad is to help them become adults. And that's more important than the cricket side. And once they, you know, once they get into good environments that they, you know, that, and they've both been lucky to have great people around them to help them all, all the way along in, in, in any environment they've been in. So, I've been the sounding board at, yes, you know, come home. Yes, I've been dad and a bit, you know, emotionally connected to no runs or runs or picked or not picked or whatever else. Yeah. So, you know, all dads all dads do that. Of course. But by and large, I've tried to stay as far out of it as I can. And in the late 90s and, and to mid-2000s, you coached two powerhouses in Victorian Premier Cricket in the Melbourne and St Kilda Cricket Clubs. Just casting your mind back, how do you reflect upon those two experiences and the opportunity to work with players in the state system, albeit obviously with often limited availability for Premier Cricket? They were fantastic experiences for me. And that was a, a period, it was sort of a, a period of about a decade where coaching down at the Saints and Melbourne and also working as the Australian female satellite coach with Belinda Clark and Mel Jones and Cats Fitzpatrick and co. And like turning up to St Kilda and having Graffy and Shane Warne and Jason Jacoby, Warren Whiteside, who was a, a you know a legend of Victorian cricket. It was also Sean Craig, Nick Jewell, John Davidson. Yep. You know, my brother was there. That was an advantage because my brother could sort of stick up for me and go, hey, you know, he'll be all right. He's just <laughs> he'll a okay. keen phys ed teacher. Yeah, he'll be okay with these cones and whistles and whatever else. I can remember at St Kilda I started and I said, oh, we're going to do the beep test 
but we're going to do it with pads and bats. So you've got to practice your running between the wickets. It would have gone down. And uh, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it that out too much because most of them sort of by the time they got running, most of them just pulled out. <laughs> so <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work too well. I sort of had egg on my face at the end of that. But yeah, that that was fantastic, and that was a bit scary, I guess, as a, as a younger coach coming through, sort of going, "Well, oh, gee, you know, there's all these people that know a lot more about cricket than what I do." But the opportunity is to get around those people and learn from them, and and have a chat to them, and see what they think the strengths and weaknesses of all the programs are, and and then you just build on it. We all start somewhere. Everyone starts somewhere mm-hmm. in what their with their level of confidence in their knowledge, and then down at, uh, at Melbourne, obviously, I, you know, Melbourne, I was a Melbourne player. I mean, it was. I was at the Saints for a couple of years and it was just at the time when my boys were really young and I couldn't, I just was really struggling with not being where they were and being at cricket all the time. I was also coaching Wesley and Wesley had 26 teams and between that and Melbourne and being a selector in the under-19s, I just was yeah. never at home. So yeah. it was great to get to have a couple of years with the Saints and really sink my teeth into it and then have you know some good time down at the Demons with, with others. And by then, I was starting to get an understanding that it was about them and it was about the relationships and it was about just being as supportive as I possibly could. So you know, if a, if a Brad Hodge came to training, you know, I always have a deal with Hodgie that whatever he wanted, we would give him. But, you know, every time he came down, could we have him for 15 or 20 minutes to help a young kid or do something or put some stimulus into the group? And he was mm. fantastic. He was outstanding. And so, you know, I think that was important. He knew that if he came down, he could get what he needed and he, and he wanted to make a contribution. That was the best of both worlds. And so that meant that, they're, you know, that was sort of working really well. And different people have different, different needs and whatever else. It is a challenging space. But things have changed. I guess I've had the experience now of being the dad of a son who's had to experience both sides. And I've been that coach over there going, come down, be here, you know, come yeah. and rah, rah, rah. And, yeah. and then, you know, you see them train for eight hours and come home and go, Premier Cricket now on top of that. Wow. And I'm going, mate, cool to you. Jets, have a sit, you know, yeah. get some orange juice into you, you know, some type of stuff. So I've seen the best of both worlds. But they're great experiences. And probably the the, the bit out of it the most now I look back on fondly was the minute the day I met Andrew McDonald, I knew he was a coach. And so, you know, he's played great cricket, but he's gone on to be, because he was inquisitive and he was a learner and, um, and he loved chatting about it and, and, and he's still the same now. And so they were fantastic experiences. And speaking of Andrew, I actually debuted against Melbourne in 2005-06 and um, he was at the non-strikers and I was bowling the little straight breaks and he was, he was just giving me some, I was only 16, he was giving me some great feedback and, and really positive and encouraging. And we're talking about, you know, a cutthroat first level game towards the end of the year and Andrew still hadn't, you know, established himself as an elite sort of state player at that stage. He's still on the way himself and uh, just speaks volumes for his character. So I'm sure that's a big reason as to why he's gone as far as he has in the coaching realm and he's, he's kicking goals at the moment, isn't he? No, no, he's a, he's a great human being, Andy. And uh, I've really enjoyed my time with him and with lots of people in cricket. Cricket's a great place to meet good people. No, definitely. And uh, Cricket Australia's recently updated their coaches up. I... I uh, Update it the other day, and it's fantastic, actually. It's got so many different features that uh, are really going to be a game changer. Can you tell us about some of the improvements that you guys have made and how this app can assist coaches in delivering their programs? Thanks, Mitch. I mean, it's it's been a, been a fantastic project, and I guess it's really just about people understanding that we're trying to help everybody now. We're trying to say, rather than be just the coaches app, we're trying to help players and parents. The game used to be the coach. I know this sometimes you get the older folk on like myself who grew up in the seventies and the eighties. And, and we've got these stories and, you know, some of them are still relevant, believe it or not, but the game was the coach. It used to be the coach. The kids would go outside and play or get sent outside to play. And there'd be a number of them and they'd work out their own rules and they'd sort out their own differences. And if someone said they weren't out, well then they'd have to sort it out themselves and all that sort of stuff. And there was all this stuff that 
happened, which we didn't realise at the time was good for us. We just did it because it just was life, what life was. But as time's gone along, and um, and it's a pretty natural evolution to, it's not just about iPads and devices and whatever else, but it's a natural evolution that parents um, are pretty sensitive about where their kids can play and going outside on the street by themselves and, and populations and just the way everything's moved. So there's just a bit less of that going on. So therefore, now the coach has become far more important because you know, young people are learning in more formal environments. They're going down to the to a cricket club to learn, and they've got some adult that's telling them. Maybe maybe an adult. Sometimes maybe a 16, 17 year old. I'd love it. I love it when young people get involved in coaching. And so, therefore, we're going. It's unfair to expect that someone who's got their life and their trade or their business or their whatever else in this space to all of a sudden be, a, you know, a rusted on coach. So how can we help them? And if we're going to help one section of it, let's help everybody. Let's help mm. the parents understand how to help their children to use sport to grow. Let's understand the players, how to use their own skills and abilities and whatever else to grow. Let's help the coaches connect it all together. Let's the teachers do lots of great stuff. Let's steal whatever we can from them. So let's get a search engine in there that cross pollinates everything. And of course, you know, clubs, the more that clubs can, can self-service and develop stuff from from within the better off they're going to be they don't want to be calling someone out from cricket australia every time they want to have a coach development yeah. stuff so how can they do it themselves so that's really it's it's and it's sort of huge if people sort of think hey when it was born in september 2016 with four sections and we put a section on every year and got up to nine sections last year and now it's got 37 like that's how much it's yeah. grown with the opportunity to just keep going in that space and uh, anyone out there listening if you think you know how to make it better or something that you like let us know because feedback's everything no, definitely. I think uh, I'm looking forward to putting that to use with our senior group. Just to close, Harps, there's a, a story that I remember you telling us at the Premier Coaches Summit a couple of years ago around using a pool fence and knocking out some poles from that pool fence to help with your two boys and their keeping skills. Do you want to yeah. indulge us with that little story to, to finish off? Yeah, well, I'm, I might throw Sam under the bus a little bit here because it <laughs> it's a funny story, the whole story. So as a dad, you want your kids to be able to solve problems and to, you know, to be creative and constructive and whatever else. So Sam came home one day and said, oh, I'm going to build this thing. And he had these pieces of wood that he that he'd bought and he went out into the backyard and he started constructing this stuff. And I was, I was proud. This is fantastic. You know, good work, mate. Like, well done. Anyway, I went out and had a look at it and he he'd had one piece of wood up in the air basically with one nail through the other piece of wood and that was holding it in place. And I said, what are you going to do with this? And he said, oh, I'm going to put some streamers off the side and it's going to nick it and I'm going to yeah. practice my keeping. And I've gone, oh, okay, what happens the first time the ball actually hits the center pole? He said, oh, I don't know. What do you mean? And I said, well, it's going to break and just fall to bits. He said, will it? And I said, I reckon so. Let's give it a go. Boom. <laughs> anyway, but I put my arms around him and gave him a big hug. I said, mate, I'm proud of you. This is what life's about. You know, get in there and have a go. Yeah. Anyway, a month later, that was still sitting on the ground. <laughs> so I started packing it up. And he said, oh, dad, we've got to solve that problem. I said, well, okay, what are we going to do? And he said, oh, what do you think? And I said, well, come on, we'll go for a trip to Bunnings. So we went to Bunnings. I'm supposed to say the local hardware store, but we went to Bunnings. <laughs> he said, what are we going to buy? I said, I don't know yet. Got no idea, but we'll, we'll, we'll know what it is when we get there. Yeah. So we're walking around and, and uh, after about 15 minutes or so, I saw this piece of pool fence. I said, mate, this is it. And he's looking at me going, what? you're like, dad, you're a bit strange. What's mm -hmm. going on here? And I said, no, 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 we can turn this in. This is exactly what we need. So anyway, we got the pool fence. We get to the, the counter. I said, you sure? And he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, well, you're paying for it. So yeah, no worries. So out came his cash right. and he paid for it. We get to the car. It won't fit in the car. <laughs> this is brilliant. I said, well, what do you think? And he's gone, oh, I think it's going to be really good. I said, if you want it, he's gone, yeah. I said, we'll carry it home. So three Ks home, he's carried this pool. 
he's committed. I'm, I'm in the I'm in the service lane videoing him, killing myself laughing. Anyway, we got home and we built it basically. We, we got the hacksaw out and just cut a few bits out and some tape and created some space. And it was all about trying to create soft hands so that the ball doesn't come to you every time. And it's, let's face it, if you're going to be an elite keeper, it's ball 379. Yeah. You've got to catch is the one that counts, isn't it, really? Yeah. And so, yeah, we just threw lots of balls and, and we had the stimulus there and, and his hands softened up and, and his keeping improved and it was a, it was a winner. And very funny as well. Yeah, no, it's something that resonated with me from that, that workshop a couple of years ago. And I've tried some contraptions over the last year or two. I'm not, I'm not very handy harp, so they've been awful, to be honest. No, I think it's it's really important to be innovative and, and try things. And uh, that just adds to the training experience too and can only benefit yeah, players. I might just take the chance to have a shout out to Stewie Welsh in Queensland, a mate of mine who um, contacted me recently for a photo because he wanted to he wanted to do the same thing so i've been sharing a few of my other coaching little knickknacks like the catching skills with bocce balls and that sort of stuff and yeah uh, and and we've been having some fun and um so he's building a pool fence we're keeping gadget now but i said mate you video that and send it to me i'll put it in the coaching app <laughs> just make sure you copyright it <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> uh, harps it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you i've learned a lot um it's always wonderful picking your brain around coaching and philosophy and, and making those links to education as well so thanks for being so generous with your time and thoughts and take care and we hope to get started with the cricket season shortly thanks mitch good luck to everyone thanks harps hey everyone in Clubland. as always if you give the podcast a bit of love i'll be giving you a shout out each week on facebook faisal hamel shared last week's dav Watmore episode also stating that dav was a legend of bangladeshi cricket thanks for the share faisal you're the winner of last week's 30 dollar big dog voucher Washington Park Cricket Club also got around last week's episode, retweeting that people should listen into the Sharks legend Dav Watmore. Good luck this season, boys. Cricket season isn't too far away. And a reminder for listeners who follow both Big Dog Clothing and our podcast on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, should you share a post, story, or retweet a podcast episode, you'll go into the running for a weekly $30 voucher. Entries close Tuesday, 5 p.m. each week. I've got about half a dozen recordings ready to go. Soccer, footy, basketball, and plenty of cricket coming up. So keep following the podcast and stay safe out there. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching in Clubland. A shout out to the talented Aidan Arandes for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.